G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week we're in week three of our What's Good About God series and we're looking at what's good about God and relationships. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, friends, on Wednesday night, I drove from Dolby to Bundaberg. Who's ever done that drive? It's four hours, it's windy, it's a long way. I stayed there for a church service and then I drove home. It was eight hours of driving. I'm glad you feel my pain, everyone. (laughs) Eight hours of driving for an hour-long service. Now, the reason I made the trip was a relationship. The priest there was retiring. He was a good and prayerful friend. He still is a good and prayerful friend. What brought me home was my family, wanting to be there for Zoe and the kids when they woke up. Dion Jackson sang, Love Makes the World Go Round. And it's been said that relationships are the currency of the kingdom of heaven. So today, in our What's Good About God series, we're going to be looking at what's good about relationships, God and relationships. Often Christianity is portrayed in the media and popular culture as being backward, regressive, or even cruel and wicked when it comes to thinking about relationships. But what we're going to see today is that the Bible gives us a better vision for human relationships and for our ultimate relationship, which is with God. So today we're going to look at good relationships, good sex, and how our relationship with Jesus gives us good news to share. So our Bible reading today from John 1 highlights the importance Jesus places on relationships from the get-go. John 1.29 says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist plays a central role in the first three chapters of John's Gospel. And here we see him affirming his cousin Jesus in the strongest possible way. In many ways, for the first three chapters of John, John is the star of the show. He was becoming a bit of a rock star on the banks of Galilee. He would wash people of their sins and he would fix up their lives and tell them to repent. And one of the amazing things that I always marvel at is that they actually did it. They actually changed. John's star was rising. But suddenly Jesus walks by and John goes, don't look at me, look at Jesus. He is the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Now that lamb language is language of sacrifice. John's dad, Zechariah, was a priest after all, and a common sacrifice was a perfect lamb. And you'd bring the lamb to the temple to be slaughtered and begin the process of taking away your sins and repairing your relationship with God and with the world around you. In calling Jesus the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, John is saying, this man 
is the one who will ultimately repair the relationship between God and the world. God has made us for relationship. So often we think of sin on a personal level. I break this rule, so I've sinned, so I'm bad. But sin primarily is a relational thing. It affects our relationships. When I sin, I reject God's will and purpose for my life. I break away from God and choose my own destructive path. Sin is a soul curving in on itself. Friends, this is what our world so often gets wrong about relationships. When I was at uni, my economics teacher, lecturer, he he joked whilst kind of also being serious at the same time, that marrying a person was simply a transactional way of saying, well, I'm never going to do better than you, so you'll do. For him, relationships were purely transactional, based on self-interest. I scratch your back, you scratch mine, and as soon as things are no longer working for me, I cut loose. John the Baptist shows us that mutual self-interest isn't what makes the world go round. It's love. He loves God and sees the fullness of God's love in Jesus. And he affirms him. Jesus takes away John's popularity. Jesus doesn't make John's life much better, in fact. In some ways, he makes it harder for him. But John sees something in Jesus, and he wants to lift him up no matter what. You see, in God, we find the energy and inspiration for good relationships. In fact, God is a relationship, one divine essence in three mutually affirming, cooperating, loving persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John gets this, and he affirms Jesus, so much so that in John chapter 3, he says this, The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. John finds freedom, joy, and all the goodness of a relationship with God in Jesus. Where the world tells us to ask, what's in it for me of every single relationship in our lives? John finds full joy by asking himself, how can I lift up the one I love? Good relationships are found in God, as is good sex. While it's not something we might expect to discuss in church, sex is part of many relationships. And it's also part of many problems in relationships. God invented sex, though, and it's a good gift from a good God. 
In our reading today from 1 Corinthians, we see the Apostle Paul speaking into a church with deep relationships problems, some of which related to sex. He writes, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus, for in him you have been enriched in every way. Now, Corinth was a mixed-up church in a mixed-up culture. In many ways, that culture mirrored ours, especially when it came to thinking about sex. On the one hand, there were those who felt that sex was taboo and it made people dirty. Others were permissive and felt sex was just a fleshy appetite that should be satisfied however, whenever, with whoever. What's surprising is people from both camps were drawn into the church by the Holy Spirit and they brought their relationship problems with them. Yet Paul is thankful for God because of them, not because their relationships are perfect or because they're perfect people, but because God has enriched their lives in every way. Some of the Corinthians thought that they could use their freedom, though, the freedom they found in Christ, to justify sleeping around. Some were engaging with prostitutes, and one guy was in a relationship with his stepmother. Paul pushes back on this, not because he's a killjoy, but because he sees good gifts. He sees the good gifts of God being used not to lift others up like John did, to lift Jesus up, but to divide and abuse. This good and wonderful relational gift was being used for evil. And so he writes, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Now, you might think the phrase, your body is a temple, would come from a religion like Buddhism. But here, Paul tells us that our bodies matter to God. We need to realise that the physical relationships we have change us on a spiritual level. Scientists, neurologists today are finding how every intimate relationship we have creates neural pathways in our brains that affect how we behave and the health of our future relationships. They're finding what Paul was saying to the Corinthians, that sexual sins affect our bodies and our hearts more profoundly than we realize. Sex is a wonderful gift and so God gives us a space, safe space to enjoy this gift, marriage. Five times in the Bible, in Genesis 2.24, in Matthew 19.5-6, in Mark 10.8, in 1 Corinthians 6.16, and in Ephesians 5.31, the purpose of marriage is described in this way. Ephesians 5.31, for instance, says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
this one flesh union isn't just physical. It's a whole life connection. It's a soul connection. The marriage covenant is the highest form of consent and a commitment to sacrificial love and mutual affirmation. God is saying, before you sleep with someone and engage in a physical relationship that will affect everything about you, you need to be prepared to lay down your life for the one you love. God gives us marriage as a safeguard and to safeguard the gift of sex and to make sure couples who choose to enter this one flesh union do so with their eyes and with their hearts wide open. Good sex is found in an honest, exclusive, mutually affirming relationship. Knowing God and drawing on his blueprint for marriage gives us the best setting for good sex. Now, while marriage is a good gift, it's not the ultimate gift. We know this because Jesus was single his whole life. He never got married or had kids, and yet he lived a full life under God. I told you about my friend, the priest at Bundaberg. He was a single celibate man his whole life. He's now in his 70s. And it was amazing um, at the uh, the supper after the service, just how many people came up to him and obviously had deep and fulfilling relationships with him. And it was beautiful. At the end of the service, he, he, he talked about how he'd done nothing particularly wonderful in that church, in that church community, but how he'd loved serving the poor there and how he encouraged the people around him to continue to do that in that church and in that space. Sex isn't the core part of who we are or our relationships. And unfortunately, preachers like myself, in trying to affirm marriage as a good gift, turn it into an idol. We adopt the lie that our sole purpose in life is to procreate. That's not Christianity, that's social Darwinism. Our purpose in life is to love. Look what happens after John affirms Jesus as the Lamb of God. Look at John 1, 40 to 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, which means, which when translated is Peter. Andrew first followed John and experienced a relationship with God through the teachings of John. When John lays down his ministry, though, he lays down his popularity, he lays down his agenda, he lays down some of his disciples. Some of his disciples leave John and go to Jesus. And for John, this is a good thing, because he came to make a way for Jesus. 
to bring people to Jesus. And he finds joy in that, that we found out earlier in the sermon. He does this because he knows the best and ultimate relationship has arrived. We are made for a relationship with God, and Jesus is here to share it with us. In love, John ushers his disciples to Jesus. Andrew goes and finds his brother and tells him the good news. We have found the Messiah, he says. John gives us in brackets the name Christ, which means anointed one. Christ isn't Jesus' surname. It's a title describing a king who had oil poured over over their head at their coronation. Andrew's saying, we found the one the whole world is waiting for, the rescuer who will put all wrongs right. Come and meet him. Now, Andrew's brother Simon comes along, and Jesus looks straight into his eyes. And in that moment, he sees him and knows him and loves him on the deepest level. Then Jesus gives Simon a new name, Cephas, translated Peter in English, which means rock. Now, if you know Peter's story, you'll know how ironic this is. Peter is the guy who tries to persuade Jesus not to go to the cross. He's the guy who violently attacks Jesus' enemies at one point, then runs away from Jesus, and then the next moment he's denying that he knows Jesus three times before his death. Peter's all over the shop. He's no rock of a man. The other strange thing is that rabbis at the time didn't call disciples. Instead, a would-be disciple would spend years studying the scriptures and praying. When they were ready, they would leave their father and mother. They would leave their immediate family. They would leave their old self behind. And they would go up to their chosen rabbi and say, please, Let me follow you. And more often than not, the rabbi would say, no, you don't have what it takes. But here, the rabbi calls the disciples. Jesus calls Simon and gives him a new name. There's awesome intimacy, love, and trust. The disciples will follow Jesus for the next three years, all the way to the cross, the ultimate expression of God's love for the world. Friends, here we see that our highest calling is to a relationship with God. St. Augustine wrote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. One of the reasons why our relationships on earth so often leave us longing for more is because a human being can never give you what God can offer, what God alone can offer. Relationships often break down because we expect too much of the person we're in relationship with Sometimes we expect them to be God and they just can't do it. When we commit to a relationship with God, God supplies 
all the love we need and then some to share with others. Intimacy with God is something that we're all called into. This is what's good about God, friends. This is the good news. Relationships in our world frustrate, hurt, and break down on us all the time. But all the time, Jesus is right there standing, calling us to follow him into a relationship of perfect love. that will pour out into our relationships with others. When we find ourselves in God, our lives are transformed. We find new purpose, affirmation, and grace to share. Good and life-giving relationships are found in God. And this, friends, is good news. Our psalm today, Psalm 40, which we read together, says this, I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and of your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Friends, let's not keep God's love to ourselves. Let's share it with the world. Loneliness, depression, and relationship breakdown are at an all-time high in our community. So let's Share the love of God with those who are crying out for it. From the first disciples to the church in Corinth and on to us in Dolby here today, Jesus is calling you into a relationship with him. Our highest calling isn't to find a soulmate or to a person who completes us. It's into a relationship with the God who made our souls. Let's invest in our relationship with God in 2023. And together we'll see that goodness flowing out onto others. Please pray with me. Loving Lord God, we thank and praise you for your power and mercy in our lives. We thank you for your goodness. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow in intimacy and in relationship with you and that, that, that goodness would flow onto others. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.